We back. The return. It's like Michael Thomas coming back in the fourth quarter. The ashy knuckle boys are back. I don't know who Michael Thomas is. Just use on your Google search button, number 13. I like the New Orleans Saints. Anyway, we talk about some MMA action, so let's get it. Let's, um, I don't know. This this last card it got blown up. We put back together and then love the matchups. Card itself, uh, I'd say, I'm going to say B minus. Good, but not hangover worthy. Like, it was just, just good. A lot of controversy um, with it, though. Yeah, I got mixed feelings about some of the mix-ups. Like, after the whole controversy with it, having Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz, I think is the match that should have been instead of him versus Chemayev in the first place. But I also don't feel like it was a good matchup between Holland and Chemayev either. So, I don't know. I'm a little mixed on that one. I think the person that got screwed the most was uh, Jangling. Yeah. I think he got like triple fucked because like he bought the the cool ass suit. He was ready for Mm. his press conference. Mainlining the, uh, you know, his his main event press conference. He learned a little bit more English. He was ready to use it. Mm. And they canceled, (laughs) they ended up canceling the, um, the press conference because of the bullshit that happened that ended up making the fight hard change, right? Mm-hmm. Then <laughs> he gets matched up with D-Rod instead of his original opponent, which was Holland, right? Yeah. Right. He gets D-Rod on short notice. D-Rod looked like a fucking tank, man. D-Rod looked like a 205-er. <laughs> I know he mm-hmm. missed weight, too, which was like he was like the 19th guy on that card that didn't make weight. Right. Wait, was it like only two people made weight? No, I mean, there was a good amount of people that... Nate made weight. <laughs> yeah. Like half the card made weight. I guess. I mean, <laughs> the premium guys got it right for sure, but uh, the headlines were all like, uh, they're going to eat. We eating good. Fuck it. We balling. Yeah. The ladies made weight, right? Uh, no, one of them missed. I don't remember which one, though. Macy, Macy missed. Macy missed, yeah. yeah. My God. What are they? Yeah, I don't she's, um... <laughs> Man, that card. Well, I'm, I'm just going to start from this one. Like I said, I think Jane Lane got triple fucked. The first two, like I said, he missed his press conference, and then he got matched up with D-Rod. And then in the fight with D-Rod, uh, I thought it went... I thought it was going Jane Lane's way. Should have most part in the first round. I had I had the first round um for Jingling. I had a 10-9. He did a good job with movement. He did a good job um with his leg kicks. He landed some decent um a couple of decent strikes here and there. It was an overall lackluster round, really, so it wasn't like anybody ran away with it. But I did give the nod to um Jingling for activity and um overall I thought he just had a better round than D-Rod. D-Rod looked like he was stuck in the mud. Um, the second round, though, 
D-Rob pressured a lot more and landed some really good jabs. His boxing was pretty decent, but not not enough volume. So I'd say like Edge would go to D-Rod in that one. Jing Lang did a lot of backing up and a lot of like evasive movements instead of um, and trying to engage in a, in a firefight, which I, I don't blame him for not wanting to get into a firefight with a dude that looked like a 205. And he turned into a wrestler that round too, and it got that takedown. <laughs> right, right. Oh, you sure did. Yeah, in that second round. Yeah, mm-hmm. did. But I, I still gave the edge to D Rod um, in the second round. Third round was pretty much clearly D Rod in my in my opinion. I think he had the most significant um, moments in third, and I guess that's what weighed the most on British minds. A lot of people um, were a little bit upset at the decision on the D Rod. Um, I don't even think Daniel Rodriguez thought he won that fight, but at the same time, um, I understand like that's the, that's the third way I think Jang Lang got fucked. I think he got fucked by the refs. No, nah, I mean not the refs, sorry, by the judges. Um, he didn't do himself any favors in the third round though, but he got he just canceled press conference, had a cool ass suit. Got matched up with D Rod, and in the fight, he ended up uh, getting not getting the nod for the decision when it could have went to him, um, and on some people's in some people's minds. So, yeah, Jing Ling, I think, had the worst of this card. I could agree with that. Knock the fuck out or something. He definitely got the worst of the shuffles. I don't know, Holland. Well, okay. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Mark. With Holland, it was kind of like, you know, he he agreed to it. He knew it was a terrible fight for him. And from what I understand, he basically got his win and loss bonus anyways, just for accepting it. Oh, So they were like, you get your win loss plus 30% because Chemayev, you know, missed weight. So. That's a win. (laughs) I. Like you knew you were gonna take the L, but you got you got an extra payday, you know. <laughs> like you knew you were gonna get your win pay plus thirty percent, you know why not? And thirty percent of Chimaev's, uh fight purse is probably more than Holland makes. Um, I agree with Mark on. I think that was a come up for Holland. I don't think he suffered at all because like, I mean, if you think about it. Nobody expected him to win. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're fighting Hamza Chimaev on one day notice, no way, buddy. I mean, even if he had a full camp, he would still be an underdog. Um, I think he would fare better for sure, but on one day notice, no way. Um, he got pretty much ragdolled and, and squeezed out <laughs> within a minute. So um, he, for a minute worth of work, Got paid, like you said, his his money, the win money, and then some of the um, some of the the fight purse for missing weight um, for Chimaev, who missed by fucking eight pounds. What the fuck? Like, come on! What? It's crazy how like. We'll talk, I'll talk about that actually later. We'll we'll get into that whole thing later. But I'll just go back to Holland. It's weird that like he didn't seem as if he was coming in the like. Even in the pressers, it was almost like, oh, I'm, I'm getting paid anyway. And this is just going to be, it doesn't, it doesn't count toward his record. It's like, it's like, it doesn't, well, I'm sorry, officially it does 
counts toward his record, but it's, it's a catchweight fight. So it's like, it's not going to matter to award any kind of title aspirations, which, I mean, I don't know if he has any anyway, but it's it's basically like just a a, a, a money grab. And that's what it seemed like. Like, I'm going to get this paper, get this check, and then no big deal. I think at the end of the day, he's just a company man. The company needed a solid done, and he did it, and they rewarded him for it in a certain sense. But, I mean, even when you – I think it was at the weigh-ins where they were interviewing him, they were like, is this a good matchup for you? And he was like, fuck no. Like, <laughs> like of course not. This is a terrible matchup, basically. And he knew it. He, he was coming in to strike with somebody, and then all of a sudden he's got, like, one of the biggest wrestlers – or grapplers, you know, it's it was a terrible matchup, and he he knew it. Yep, that's for sure. Imagine you training for um, Daniel Rodriguez for three months, and then on the day of the fight, basically, or the day before the fight, um, they're like, "Oh no, no, you're not fighting Daniel Rodriguez. You're fighting Hamza Chabaya." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like such a different style, a different approach. For sure, and then obviously, um, Chimaev has proven to be one of the best wrestlers in the division. Um, Competition-wise, I would say it's a little bit untested. Obviously, I mean, it's only Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland's wrestling is not good. Wrestling defense isn't isn't very good. And then other guys that he's you know, I mean, he did ragdoll Jingling. Right, but he hasn't faced anybody in the top five outside of obviously Gilbert Burns, and mm-hmm. that fight he couldn't dominate with wrestling. So yeah. you, if you look at like, is he? My 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 thought was like, everyone is saying like he's this juggernaut that just can't be stopped, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. Still, even though I do believe in his potential, I do believe he has the skills. I mean, the Burns fight said a lot for him, right? He got he proved that he is uh able to compete with the top of the division. So I give him respects for that even though I wasn't a huge believer in him before. Like I was firmly on the he need to be tested side. And even though I, I think it proved it showed that he's human and he can be beat, but it also proved that he can compete with the top guys. So I, I can't hate on him too much. Let me turn my notifications off. Um, yeah, man, I, I thought for sure that Hamzat has the like he has everything you want from a championship caliber fighter, except for two things: any make championship weight, any make one seventy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, you're not gonna be able to be champion if you can't make one seventy consistently, um, and also. His level of competition, like, I would love to see him now against top of the division. I mean, I want to see him matched up with Kobe. I want to see him matched up, you know what I mean, with the guys in the top five now. We've seen what he can do outside of that, and he's been clearly fucking dominant. Clearly. Like, he ragdolled. He, the guys that he was supposed to ragdoll. I mean, so... See what it looks like in a step up in competition before, because a lot of people are. I don't know most MMA fans 
feel like he's the uncrowned king of 170. I still need convincing. I see his trajectory going the same way as his best friend right now. I think he is the Swedish Till. Did I freeze up? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. That's a beautiful photo of me. But um, <laughs> I, I feel like he's going to go the same way as Till, where he's going to be very dominant at 170, might get a title shot, might get shot down, and then have to go to 85 and doesn't look as dominant at the top there. They already talking about him uh, possibly going to 85 only. Because that bad Who's weight that? Hamzat? Hamzat? I think, uh, to, be, to be real, I'll say this. I think his, I think his um, potential for getting championship is higher at 170. I don't think he's going to... I don't think he competes at 185 for the title. I think they're already setting it up. The whole thing with uh, Paulo Costa, the week of the fight. Right. You know, it could be already in the making. That's how I look at it. I didn't know they had any issues. Did you guys know? What is happening here? What's that, Mo? Did you know if uh, Hamza and Paulo had any issues prior to their little uh, running during fight week? Only online. They, they, was talking, they would talk shit to each other on like Twitter. Oh, Twitter beef? Yeah. that's what, I think that's where it's all, it all stemmed from. Like that whole interaction was um, like they were at the UFC PI. Yeah. And he just confronted him about it. Like, here's my thing. The cage was open. Exactly. So, like, if if Hamzat really wanted to, like, on-site him and all that shit, he could just walk around. Like, walk around. Like, he didn't, it, it was, like, but I think it was more um, for promotion, obviously. Like, you can have, I think these guys are smart. Yeah. A lot of these guys, um, all the, the, none of these actions are just um, out of pocket. I think they have a, it's like a game plan. They're trying to create drama and create sound bites to promote future matchups. And I think you're right. I think um, Paula thing, that Paula Costa thing is like right in line. He doesn't have an opponent lined up. And what's, what? Why not Gabby? That's a perfect match. Like uh, it's for I, 85, I'd love to see that. I think that and the, they already have the storyline. So yep. Especially if he goes up the middleweight. He beat him, then he yeah. might get a shot at uh the title. That'd be more yeah, fresh mean, it, uh, it, fighters for Izzy. Exactly. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Because, like, if, if they, okay, think about it this way. It, let's say he does go up to 85, right? I would say he's still two fights away from a title shot. Um... Obviously, Izzy's already um, booked with Pereira, right? Yep. got Alex coming up. Um, and then Whitaker's just beating everybody. Yep. So Whitaker's like permanent, permanent number one contender, basically. 
And I think all roads to Izzy have to go through Whitaker. So I feel, personally speaking, I wouldn't. I would love to see Whitaker Izzy three. What would that be four now? Would be three. It would. It would be four. Wait, three, 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 three. My bad. Three. Maybe because yeah. Um, but before that, um, I would love to see how Chamayev would do against Whitaker. I would love to see how he would perform against um, Paulo Costa. I mean, if he steamrolls Paulo Costa and then, you know, gets in there, wreck shop, then yes, give him his type of shot. He uh, already talked about uh, Robert Whitaker at the post-fight press conference. Nothing bad. He said he liked him. He wants to train with him, stuff like that. But if he has to fight him, he'll fight him. Okay. That's what, that's what I, I believe. That's what his response should be. And personally speaking, I like him. I think. I think old boys. Um. I, I like Shemaya's potential. I just want to see it tested. Um. I think that he can be. I think he can. He can be. Um. An elite level, hundred eighty-five pounder. I, I know. I think one seventy might be a little bit too much for him. He might. I mean, obviously, he's not going to get any younger as time goes on. And it's, it's already hard for him to make with the weight cut. I think it's just, like, going to be a harder and harder and harder. I mean, why not just stay at 85 and improve, like, on the skills and then get, you know, in position to compete for a championship as opposed to trying to kill yourself to get at 85. I mean, at 170. I don't and even some of the top 170 matchups, I, I mean, how does he fare against Kobe in a five-round fight? I don't know. I I would if he better not gas know that much. Exactly. You know, Kobe ain't gonna do no man. Kobe's gonna keep the pressure on, force him to use that gas tank, and then he, he's not gonna be able to rag. I don't think he's gonna be able to ragdoll Kobe. I don't think so. I think Kobe's wrestling's legitimate, so. Gonna be um, that. That's one of those fights where, like, obviously, you see, when you saw him against Burns, he couldn't keep Burns down. And Burns isn't really Burns is more of a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a lightweight too. Right. You get what I'm saying? He he fought at lightweight. Mm-hmm. He's a lightweight. Right. I mean, but I, I think I think Burns is a legit set one seventy though. Like, I don't think he's a he was a just small cutting weight one seventy. He was just cutting weight though. I guess for the uh, advantage, like Chael says, you don't uh, drop down and wait for top competition. You drop down to avoid top competition. That's right. Makes sense. To me, um, if you look at the, the top of the division, the top of the division in 170 is basically you got Usman, Leon, Kobe. That's your, that's your three guys. At 170 pounds, and I think um, all three of those guys, you're not going to be able to ragdoll them. So you're basically going to have to. It's going to be a kickboxing fight, or it's going to be a long, grueling fight. And I would say Edge goes to all three of those guys in a long, grueling fight. From what I've seen from Shemayev so far, we haven't seen him in a lot of five round action, and we haven't seen him up against top tier competition. So that's what makes me feel that way. Now, 
can he um do it? Does he have the tools? I think he has the tools to do it. Sure, like the he has everything you want. Like he has the he has size, he has the athleticism, he's aggressive, he's powerful, he can finish. He has the tools. Um, but we just gotta see it done against top comp for me to be um to consider him a, a uncrowned king. I don't think he's an uncrowned king. I think to me, he's a rising star with championship potential. I don't think he is like I guess like the reason why I'm saying this is because the when Usman wasn't the champ, when when Whitley was the champ, everybody kind of avoided Usman because they're like, this guy is the guy. Even though he doesn't have the gold, he is the guy. So he was basically he would get ducked a ton. And then even now as champion, I mean like he was until Leon hit him with the headshot dead. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean, he was on his road to being being considered um, one of the greatest welterweights of all time, and that 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 book is still um, that that chapter's not closed in my mind. I mean, hell of a job by Leon, but I still think Usman's the man. It's just like GSP when he lost to uh, Matt Hughes before, and then Matt Sarah later on, he came back and did his thing. Yeah, the the only difference in that is both of those happened early, early on. In his career for GSP, I think it was like the worst timing for Usman to lose at that point because Leon Edwards basically took away a lot of the records that he could have. All the consistency records, like longest title reign and uh, longest win streak and all that, those are all gone because he has to start over now. And it's a tough thing to do to get to 12, 13, 14 fights straight. Right. Like, so here's my thing, man. Yeah, those, all those things for news and for, like, media, they, they mean a lot. But when it comes down to it, I I personally believe that Leon is a championship caliber fighter. I believe that he even if in the first fight when they when the skills were like a little bit uh, they they both were still like a little bit more undeveloped. Like back in the first matchup, Usman was more of just a wrestler, a pure wrestler. It had punching power. And and then Leon was just a, a kickboxer whose grappling was a little sus. That still was a close match. And you look at now, like, Leon's evolved way past what he was that long time ago when they did fight the first time. And then so did Usman. And that, I think that fight was for real a, a whole display of that. Like, we saw Usman getting taken down for the first time in his career. We saw him get knocked out for the first time in his career. He got his only his second loss in his mixed martial arts career. Um, Leon... Put on like even though like he was getting dominated most of the fight like Usman was being Usman but the guy we mm-hmm. expected the the, the welterweight goat we that's what we saw from most of the fight but that one moment where he got that he got set up and Leon caught him with the head kick that's all it takes you know what I mean for a high level striker like that and it's kind of funny if you go back and look how like 
same story happened with him and Nick, Nate Diaz, where Nate got dominated for the entire fight, but land that one punch, rock Leon. If he finishes Leon there, it's a whole different narrative, a whole different story. Leon finished Usman. Like, Usman was dead on the, on the, on the canvas, you know what I mean? So I think that's the difference in, like, when you, you get when you have this, that, I think he's deserving. He's deserving to be champion. How long will you hold on to that belt? That's the real question. I mean, you got also got to be honest with about Leon too, though, because before he got the belt, nobody was really defeating him either. He was having a hard time. People were avoiding fighting him too, because they always considered him high risk, low reward. You know, but. Now he's champ. His biggest rival is definitely Usman again. So if there's a good chance that Usman comes back and takes his belt back. But other than that, he matches up pretty well with the rest of the division. Yeah. I agree. Exceedingly well. I would say, I think he matches up very good with Kobe. He matches up very good with um, who his obvious money fight would be. Would be obviously um, Usman. Uzman, in my mind, is the next contender, period. But if you're looking at, let's say he wins. Let's say he beats Uzman, right? Let's say he goes in there and just gets a decision victory. Let's say he doesn't, nothing crazy, but he just beats Uzman the second time um, in, in the trilogy. The obvious money fights for him are three. I see three names. Um, the biggest name is Masvidal in London, right? Like you have that two-piece Minnesota thing. Three piece in this sort of thing. Obviously, people go well. People will argue that Masvidal doesn't deserve it. Doesn't deserve a title shot. But no one cares what you deserve. It's entertainment as well as it's competition. That fight would probably sell pretty big. I would. I would assume, um, given like the history, and then Kobe, right, would be next. And then also, what if Conor wants a crack at one seventy? It, that would sell. And Conor could easily get a like a, a 170 title match, a title um ticket. You know that we we know he'll get um a title shot. Whatever it doesn't matter if he's winning or not. Like or if he deserves it or not, it's not important. It's definitely happening in London. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's definitely got to happen in London. And I mean. You're right. The biggest fight over there, besides Usman, would be Masvidal, money-wise, just because they can use that promo. But I don't know if the UFC is going to do that, because they've been pretty quiet about Masvidal for a while now, too. They haven't been hyping him about anything. Probably going to fight Conor. The good thing for Masvidal is... Something crazy always, something crazy happens every fifteen seconds. Yeah. So like, so like, your controversy can get buried in the crazy news cycle of just crazy other shit happening. Like, um, all you gotta do is just wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just just wait and be quiet, and you'll be all right. But yeah, he's he's probably not gonna live that Kobe thing down for a little while, but. It, in a way, it kind of adds to already what he's known for anyway. He's known for being this, like, you know, this Miami brawler. This, I mean, that's his whole his whole story. That's his origin story. That's how he got his claim to fame, with, even with Leon, the two-piece and the stuff, whatever the fuck. But I don't think it, like, really hurts him too much. But for the 
the UFC PR machine. I think they just they're quiet on him because they know that something crazier is going to happen that'll take the news. As long as you're quiet. Well, I think they're also quiet on him because, unfortunately, the matchups that would make the most sense for him aren't entertaining enough. So they're just not doing it because there's just better matchups right now. This is the best odds for him. I mean, literally the best thing for Masvidal would be for Edwards to beat Usman the second time because you know that's the matchup they're going to make. Unless one of them can't get to the fight. And then that's the like his best odds. In all honesty. And he just has to hope that Conor McGregor doesn't want to fight Leon. Or Chemayev. That's his other obstacle. Chemayev could rock, or get another win. Say he fights Covington and then beats Covington. They're going to give him a title shot. It's a three-way dance with the top at the division. Yeah. Oh, what do you what do you see happening though with uh, Leon if Usman beats him in this second fight? In this, I mean, this third fight. So let's say Usman beats him. Where's Leon go? I think he goes back to you know back of the line. And it'll probably be, depending on who Kobe fights, if he fights Chemayev at 170. Uh, if Chemayev wins, he'll probably fight Usman. You don't think that Leon could put up a good enough fight to get a trilogy out of that? It, it's going to be a trilogy. It'll be the third time they fight. That would be the third time they fight. You're right, you're right. It's 1-1. One, one. I, f- I always forget about that first one. <laughs> it was so long ago. I thought you meant like a title trilogy. Um, well, that's what yeah, I was meaning, but yeah, I forget about their first fight. It already, this is already um, going to be the trilogy mm-hmm. in, in their series, but as a title, no, this will be um, only the second time they matched up in the title fight. I don't think he goes that um, far back, though, if he loses. He'll be like one win away from getting a, another crack at it, though. That's how I see it. I don't know. I don't know how far back he goes. Though. I don't think he goes back too far. No, no, no. he'd be in top three still. He'll fight the loser of whoever Kobe fights next. And that's and Kobe's not booked with anyone, so nope. who knows? It could be just Kobe. Well, he had a what? What did he say? He broke his tooth or something? He having mm-hmm. issues because Masvidal beat him up so bad or something? Something like that. And then. Also, you know that he's not that active anyway. Kobe's not very active regardless. Like, he doesn't fight three times a year anyway. So, if you – it's, like, kind of on par for his whole schedule. He only wants to fight matchups that make sense for him, like aging vets and title fights. He's not trying to get tough fights. I know where he's at, I mean, though. Where he at? No, where he's at, too. He at the poker room right now. <laughs> that boy playing cards. I mean, this this is also a good scenario for Kobe Covington, right? Because he wasn't going to get another shot at Usman. So, his best bet is to get fucking Edwards to win again, too. 
As if uh, Chimaev stays at 170. I don't think they... Uh, mm. They might force him to fight 185 as next one, but one good win, then they'll be like, well, you can do whatever you want. Kind of like they did with... Uh, who was that? A while back. Oh, Gaslam for a little bit. I see uh, that fight being a main event. I don't know if it'll be a pay-per-view main event, but if Chimaev and Kobe fight... It's definitely five rounds. It's not going to be three rounds. I don't see it no other way. I'm not, I'm not at all interested in seeing Shemaya fight any more three-round fights. At this point. Like, from from now on, I want to see... If anything, he should be on some... Like, either co-main event or main event versus top competition in a headlining situation. Yeah, I don't see. I see no need for him any more three rounders, um, really. Because I mean, he's he's already showcased his talent. We know what he is now at this point. Like, he he's he's gonna ragdoll you, squeeze you out. Uh, in in Mirch in Mirchart's case, he knocked you out with one punch, and he's a phenomenal talent. So I think at this point, going forward. There, I mean, right now, I only want to see him matched up against the top of a division in whichever division he's in, if he decides to be in. Makes sense for 85. 70 doesn't make sense to me because he can't make 70. He can't make weight. And he's not going to get, like I said, Mike, he's not getting younger. It's not going to get easier to make weight. I think I would give him more leeway if it wasn't by, like, almost eight pounds. You know? Right. Because this wasn't a title fight, so therefore... Technically, eight pounds is still nine pounds over making title weight. Exactly. If he was like he one or two pounds weight. over, I think I'd give him some leeway, but I, not fucking nine. Right. If he came in at 173, no big deal. Yeah. Well, one, one, 178 or whatever, you, did you even try? Like, you know what I mean? Hey, he didn't look drained or nothing, right? Even though the doctors yeah. told him to stop cutting weight so early, but still. Like how early did they tell him to stop cutting weight? That morning? And he was that that like that many pounds over, or did he start eating or something? Probably started hydrating back up. Well, he said that they told him to stop. And then after they told him to stop, they told him he had to start drinking water to rehydrate. So therefore that's why he was so much over. The conspiracy theories are running wild with that. Yes, exactly. There's there's a lot of hate about it. I, I do think it's slightly unfair that it's all going to Chimaev because as we spoke about earlier, half the card missed weight, half the main card missed weight. So, it's like, uh, maybe maybe there's another leeway there. Maybe the scales were off. Which I'm surprised that one hasn't been thrown out there yet. Maybe the doctors were going crazy and just like, no, y'all aren't drinking enough water. Yeah, who knows? We we should uh talk about our dear friend Nate Diaz on his way. Who got who got his uh the best case scenario out of all those mix ups? Yes. He got 
he got hooked up. Even though that should have been the fight to begin with, but he got hooked up. Mm-hmm. 100%, he is the absolute winner of this card. Oh, yeah. In my head. Because not only did he get a good matchup against a ranked opponent that he respects, and it's a matchup that actually makes sense for him to go out on. And he got a winnable matchup. So, he is the absolute winner of this card. Oh, I was going to say, was that is that his first time getting submitted, Tony Ferguson? No, Oliveira. No, Oliveira did. He tried to break his arm off and he still didn't tap. Did he not tap? I think that went all three rounds of just being dominated. Then it might be. Because it went, uh, he lost to Gaethje. Then I think it was Oliveira. Then it was, uh, Dariush. And then he got, uh, knocked out. He got field goal kicked by Chandler. Mm-hmm. All right. Besides Nate, did you see the timing? Did you see the timing which he got subbed? Nah. What was the time? But it was 2.09 on the clock. You're kidding me. It's serious. It was the fourth round, wasn't it? Not the fifth? I believe it was the fourth fourth round. round. Mm-hmm. And it said 209. But it was at 209. Wow. That's hilarious. Is that? Stockton, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> More that's conspiracy kind of theories. <laughs> and that's, this one guy uh, I talked to on, on Twitter, he does like a, uh, we do like little uh, MMA spaces or whatever. And we uh, just random MMA chat. But this dude was like <laughs> fucking all over the place. He said uh, <laughs> he thinks that it's completely scripted because of how the way um, Macy Chesson fight, how that ended. And it ended right before the over hit. It was like a few seconds before the over being hit. And she just basically, you know, he thought it was like a fake shot. Like she didn't really get hurt. And it basically it was like scripted. And then also the 209 was like, like proof to him. It's completely scripted. Oh my god! That's like I was telling uh, Mark earlier how uh, Hamzat became the heel of uh, the UFC, like how Hulk Hogan went from being uh, red and yellow, then he came back with the NWO and he was like black and white, and became the villain. So he had to be. He's the scripted. fake gangster now. It's scripted. All it's of all scripted. set up. He got booed. The whole way through, right? For his yeah. fight, Hamzat? I couldn't hear nothing. I was at work driving around. Yeah, he got booed quite a bit, but the fight wasn't very long itself. But his whole walkout, he was definitely getting booed. Well, we know where Nate's going after this. He's going to go look for better opportunities. What do what you guys think Tony should do? Because he, he said he's he's back, but I don't know. Tony should retire. He's back, though. Uh, he's been in three different camps for his last three different fights. He hasn't looked the same since his breakdown a while back. And Gaethje stole his soul. 
So, as much as I love Tony, he's just, his time was past. Unfortunately, his, his prime and where he was at his best, there was so much crap going on in the division to where he couldn't shine to his fullest potential. I still think that a prime Tony would have been the best matchup for Habib. But by the time he got to his title shot, his legit title shot, it was just too late. That fight never happened. Ever. Right. Try five terms. I think um, <laughs> the interesting fucking case of Tony Ferguson, bro. <laughs> For me, I think just too much damage. That's all mm-hmm. it was. Like, he just... He was he's a great fighter, but unfortunately, a lot of his epic, beautiful comeback wars that he was in, he took a lot of fucking damage. Like even like you know the Pettis fight, he took a good bit. He took a good bit in the Kevin Lee fight. Um, and this was all his like some of his prime time, like, great wins. And then if you, even if even some of the other fights, if you look back into his career. And all, all of his notable wins, it's like he, he rarely had a fight where he was just like steamrolled and out of there, where he was just dominant the whole way through. It was always some kind of back and forth type war mm-hmm. for Tony. And then, you know, that, I think that accumulated damage over the course of a long career just kind of caught up to him. And this is why we see the Tony we see now. Obviously, you mentioned the one you mentioned earlier. I mean, come on, Gaethje fight was insane. And then you also got to put into account right now he's trying to go to 170 at this point, and I do not see favorable matchups at 170 at all for him. No, like his no, best bet at 170 is for ranked opponents. No. Uh, Neil Magny might be an interesting fight, but even I think that's going to be a tough one for him because he's too tall. Tony? Yeah. Yeah. 170. Yeah, 170, because that's what he wants to come back at ever since he went to Greg Jackson. I mean, it makes sense because he's older, so it's going to be tough. It's it's probably tougher for him to get down to 55. But he's in the same – I think he's in the same exact – Situation that Diego Sanchez was in. I mean, yeah, you can't make 155, but you're going to get murdered at 170. Yeah, but, and I hate to say this. I really hate to say this. Uh, but at least with Diego Sanchez, Diego Sanchez was willing to take, you know, unranked opponents and still have exciting fights with them. But I think with Tony. I don't think he can have those anymore. Like I, I think he's just too far gone at this point. And I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer. Like I, I fight for Frankie Edgar all the time now, where I know that Frankie Edgar's not going to have a championship run or title fight. But at least every time he's losing, he's competitive in the fights and he's in the top five, top ten. Tony is not showing that anymore. You know. They should just rebook oh. the Jingalang fight then. They can do it. 
That's possible. They both coming off a loss. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I take back what I said. I do see some interesting matches up for him at 170, but it's not in the top. Not in the ranked part. I think he would be perfect um, for newcomers. Guys who are just like getting introduced to the division. Because if you think about it, like you're going to get some excitement in the fact that you're getting this unfamiliar person and with with an aging vet and if Tony, you know, does well, then you, you can. That's that's another. You have a, another named opponent. I mean, a named fighter that can fill up a card in the one seventy division. Yeah. Um. And who knows? Like, I, I, I hate to put caps on um, guys because, I mean, it is the fight game. And the difference between the guys who are at the top and the guys who are in the middle is just so small. It is one little opportunity here, one little landed shot there, one sub here. And we're talking about, like, a whole different thing. You know, if, he, if Tony goes on a crazy streak again, which, I mean, is probably not fucking likely. But yeah. let's just say something crazy happens, right? Like he starts fighting all these like up and comers and bodying them all, right? Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Like then, like do you give him some? Do you start giving him more ranked opponents? What if he beats them? You you oh. do. You start giving him more ranked opponents and see if he can come back from it. But I mean, how old is Tony right now? Thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, somewhere. Yeah. There. And 38, you know, if he was in the lightweight or light heavyweight division or the heavyweight division, I'd be like, all right, maybe he, maybe he can cut it there and still, like, make a comeback. This is a young man's sport. And that when you're already getting subbed, when you've never been subbed before, because I did look it up, that was his first time getting subbed. And your last couple of losses, or you've had a lot... A couple of knockout losses and you are prone to taking damage now or you've always been prone to taking damage but it's obviously accumulating to where you just can't you can't survive the same way that you do we all know that tony has the heart we all know that tony has the fight there but when your body's just not taking it the way that it used to and i don't i don't want him to tarnish his name anymore by just going down to the unranks being the gatekeeper to see if you should even be in the UFC. You know what I mean? I I think that his legacy is set, that that long win streak that he had, the interim title, I think he's already a Hall of Famer in my head. So I think he should just call it a career. And I love Tony. I That's my boy. I agree I agree with you on one thing and that his legacy is already set. I agree mm-hmm. with that. I don't think that you take a fighter's late career action into account when you're thinking about them as as it pertains to their greatness. Because, like, I mean, everybody knows Father Time is is undefeated. Not yeah. gonna, no one's going to escape the clock forever, no matter how good you are. Um, so, like, I don't mind them taking. If, I mean, for me, I, I I say this a lot, and I stick, I stand by this ten toes. The game will get rid of you when the game is ready to get rid of you. You don't have to, um, you know, make an exit. It'll, it'll show you when you're, when you're ready. But, like, because so, some of those guys still want to compete. And for the ones who still want to compete, 
I want to see it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, so I'll give you an example of a guy that I thought stayed around too late that I wanted to see retire early. Samson Silva. I wanted to see Silva retire after the, um, the leg break. Mm-hmm. But he kept going and kept taking fights and, I mean, getting, and keep getting losses by guys who was not, can't, can't hold a candle to him in his prime. I don't think that tarnishes his legacy. To me, I think it kind of adds to it because I'm like, you're still willing to take fights when you aren't the hammer anymore. You're now the guy who's, I mean, it's like at one point in Tony Ferguson's run of that long unbeaten streak, he was the fucking man, in my opinion. And then, and Anderson Silva had stretches of his career where he was almost untouchable. But then now, you know, when the clock strikes back and like he's on, he's on the flip side of that, he's taking a fight with DC. What? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and he's obviously not untouchable anymore. So to me, that adds, like, that makes me think of you. That gives me more respect for you as a fighter, taking those tough matchups, taking those unranked tough guys. Because just be real, even those guys that are making it to the UFC, those guys on the contender series, those guys that are on the circuit, that are working their way up, they're still killers. You know what I mean? They might not be to the caliber of the champion. Maybe not. Maybe not. They're still warriors, and I would if they if Tony wants to compete. Still, I want to see him compete. Still, if even if even Anderson, like if he's sitting there trying to box Jake Paul, I'm here for it. I'm like until you like I don't think you tarnish your legacy by fighting late in your career. I don't think that's true because if you look at all the goats, every guy we consider a goat, Muhammad Ali. Um, guys like fucking Floyd still taking fucking goofy ass fights, like exhibition fights. He's not losing them, but still he's taking them. It's just like no one remembers Ali for the late Ali. They remember Ali for the great Ali. And the same thing that I um with Tony. I don't think anyone's gonna remember this stuff. Him getting subbed by Nate Diaz. I mean they're gonna remember it, but they're not gonna remember his greatness for that. Let me rephrase a little bit. Like, I don't think that we're ever going to forget the legit Tony. So my example would be someone like BJ Penn. I love BJ Penn. He kept coming back for more, and it just, it hurt me. I I like the guy too much to watch him take so much damage for no reason. That's where I was at with it. Because, like, when BJ Penn came out, or came back multiple times, you could tell he was never in those fights. And he just got dominated, then dominated, then dominated. And he also, besides the Frankie Edgar fight, which was a terrible matchup for him at featherweight. All ten of them? All ten. Well, I mean, <laughs> the the last two especially were just a terrible idea. And it just, it was, it was sad to see at this point. And it's leaked over into his personal life. The hot dogs and spam ain't working for him anymore. I think he's still trying to run for governor, but that's nowhere here or there. I thought he was trying again. Oh, again? Yeah, but here nor there. It's just that that hurts me to see. You know, at least Anderson switching over to boxing and boxing somebody like Jake Paul, that can still be competitive. 
the lower end of the UFC, if Tony really wants to drop down and take non-ranked opponents, which I think his pride is too much to do, he could probably do that, but I'd rather not him try to take all these ranked opponents like at 170 that I know he's just not favorable for. I want him to take winnable matchups at least. I don't want to be the sa- I don't want to see him as a sacrificial lamb. I feel you. I feel you on that. Yeah. I, 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 from a fan standpoint, I feel you on that because you don't want to see yeah. a boy go out like that. Yeah. I get it. I get like it. I can handle his record right now. Like you even look at it and you're like, oh well, Tony lost to Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Darnoosh, like. Those are like the top of the top, you know. But when you're, no offense to Nate, because I love Nate also. When you're getting subbed by Nate later in your careers and you're just not looking as creative or fast anymore, it's, there's a time where you just got to kind of, as a fan, I just kind of want you to preserve yourself a little bit. Start focusing on other ventures in life, which I know you already started. True. No, I, I didn't get that. And I don't think Tony's um I think Tony's aware of that. Mm-hmm. Like he's 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 venturing out and doing he, he he's a, I think he's his persona of him being this crazy guy is uh, a little bit overblown. I think he got he he has at least um a good team surrounding him, so he'll be fine as far as that's concerned. But that desire that you have to compete once you stop a lot of the you hear a lot of the guys talk about it um a lot of the former fighters they talk about it pretty pretty heavily mm-hmm. once you stop it just it that it's it's over and a lot of guys have a tough time dealing with that as you go from living most of your career as this that that's what you're defined as you're known for being a fighter and then once you're not a fighter once you're not in training camps and getting ready for a big fight and this is all, all these things then it's like they kind of go through an identity crisis of like in their own real life and the fear of that keeps them going longer than they should um in some cases and in other cases they just don't that's just their mentality they're like they're born warriors and they're never gonna stop until literally they can't well, I'll give you a, I'll give him a second option, a different option that I would 100% support. Tony Ferguson's ground game has always been entertaining and great. And I would love to see him take on some submission underground fights. Talk to his boy Chael, take on some submission underground, a little less hard on the body, still completely winnable for him. Don't have to worry about those heavy hits and cuts. And you know he can he can take some submissions. So I would love for him to compete there, get that competitive edge out, and still have a chance at winning some good fights or good matches and getting it done. Still be on TV. And we're showing Tony totally Ferguson a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about how about this? Let's talk about that finish and. The um, was it Irene Aldana and Macy Chazon? Was that the fight? Which fight was it with the liver with the liver shot? That was the Aldana fight. Yeah, that was the one. Bruh, I 
look the way I was playing. So I, at that time, um, when that card happened, I kind of I, I, I skipped between watching <laughs> the, the fight at a um, poker game and then at the strip club. So like the strip club hosted the event. They, they, they do the UFC all the time. Um, give a shout out to my boys at New Solid Gold for putting on a good show. Um, so I split time between that and the private game. And, and the, at the game, the, the prelims were on and like, you know, some of the main card. And I'm watching it, but in the, in the middle of it, I'm also playing cards. So I look up and I like, I was, ha- I was, I bet on Macy. And I was happy because I'm like, oh, we're winning this fight. And then like, she's on top. And she's, you know, turning some ground and pound. I look up and she's on the ground, like curled up. I'm like, wait, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, like, I didn't, like, what did I miss in those like 14 seconds of my attention not being on the TV? And I went back and watched, and that, they showed the replay. I'm like, bro, she hit her with an up kick? Is, a, it's, is that to the liver? You know what I mean? She just crumpled. And I'm like, yo, that was brutal. Must have been a fucking crazy amount of pain. Or to not continue with, you know, wow. I mean, you rarely see up kicks that aren't knockouts to the chin. You see, like, you rarely see people, like, just get folded by a body kick. A body, a up kick from, to the body. Do you think that technique, the reason I brought it up in the first place, is do you think that might become more prevalent? Like, you might see guys going for that more? Like, people, like, attempting to go for body strikes with their up kicks more? Maybe. I mean, we saw it with the the front kick a long time ago. Once somebody started doing a front kick and they started getting a couple knockouts with it, that became a lot more prevalent in the UFC. Same with calf kicks, so why not up kicks to the body? Yep. Things that work become trends. Facts. No, it's specifically targeting the organs, like trying to get a liver shot, trying to get a kidney shot. I mean, it's uh, targeting the chin... The chin's a small area, bro. Like trying to get a head kick from from up kick, you got a small window, and some of it's illegal because because yep. they get their knee on the ground, you can't hit them in the head. So, I, I think we um, Irene might have started a little. She might have been the, maybe the Kickstarter, no pun intended, to a new trend. But we're seeing some up kicks to the body, um, especially specifically targeting the organs because like. Like you said, it's copycat. It's, it's definitely a copycat league. When calf kicks start, when they, they, people do what's effective, and when you see when we saw calf kicks take a um, go to go, I mean, become the, the norm. We saw front kicks to the face become the norm after a few knockouts. It just I think um, when you whenever you do something that is is uncommon. And you get a finish with it. Everyone wants to do it. Everyone wants to try spinning back elbows for the finish. Now, everybody wants that because it's like that highlight reel. So yeah, I mean, Mo, what do you think? You think that's gonna, gonna be a thing? It's definitely gonna be a thing. Everybody copies everybody. They even try to do some. Uh, you know, who's the innovator is John Jones. I swear he comes up with something new every time. So. Yeah, he he's definitely innovated a lot of those random attacks. Oh yeah, he got, I guess you could consider him the godfather of the oblique kick. Everybody hates on um on my boy. Um, damn, lost the name for a second there. Whitaker. 
No, Whitaker is notorious for it too. Whitaker's great at it, but no, not Whitaker. Um, Khalil Roundtree for like what he did to old boys. Um, me, mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I'm like just because his was like a lot. It, it, it landed effectively. I mean, that's what it's, it's supposed to do. It's supposed to fucking break your leg. Like it's it's, 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 it's the, the whole point of that kick. If you landed, um, how brutally he did land it. You know, like that was like a perfect shot is to disable your opponent's leg. Same with any leg kick. I'm like, if you throw in a calf kick and you destroy it, like the person's limping now and that leg's disabled. Um, yeah. You land a head kick, that person's knocked the fuck out. You know what I mean? Like we, so it's, I think um, John might be the godfather of the oblique kick, was what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also, he started the, let's say started it, but at least in MMA, he kind of coined the spinning back elbow. But now you got Meatball Molly back to back, spinning back elbow knockouts, um, and a ton of other um, competitors just making their highlight reel with that technique. So, I mean, even uh, what was it? The Von Flute choke became a thing for a while. People started learning how to do the Von Flute or the OSP at this point. But they started doing that more and more often when they were in certain guards. So, why not? That's that's how you learn. But one thing about the oblique kick, like a little side note on that. I don't understand why everyone hates it so much. I understand it can destroy a knee or like it's very dangerous to use for the person getting hit by it. But A, your job is to avoid all this heavy damage in the first place. And B, we have people breaking people's arms, ripping people's knees apart, and submissions constantly. But you can't throw a kick at it? Like, I don't see the difference in my head. I think the reason why people object to it the most is because we like to pick and choose our violence. Yeah. <laughs> like, we like to pick and choose what we like to see when it comes to violence. So like that they like they might see that as that being unfair or that being um like even with um remember back when soccer kicks soccer kicks were allowed in like pride days and then um how knees for grounded opponent was allowed in the early days of the UFC and in the pride days. It it just looks more brutal than it really is. And I'm I'm like if you're allowed to pick a guy up and slam him on his head, if you're allowed to elbow a ground opponent, if you're allowed to kick a guy in the head, knee a guy in the face, standing, why can't you do it on the ground? Like if you, it's 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 weird that we just like to cherry pick which parts of violence we like. It's okay to get hit over and over in the head with your with basically what amount in boxing what amounts to like, I mean. They're wrapping these guys' hands up in gloves, but let's be real here. That's just way more brutal getting hit repeatedly in the head over the course of 12 rounds than it ever is one clean kick. You know what I mean? But it's more accepted. It just looks more presentable. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> I guess it's like the McDonald's of like strikes. Like It looks good in the package, but you know it's trash. <laughs> yep 
It certainly is. Definitely. Yeah, it's it, that's definitely a bad concept of MMA. Soccer kicks, I kind of get because it's really hard to defend yourself from them on the ground. Versus a head kick, you have a lot of options to defend yourself. But, yeah, I get it. It's it's terrible that people think that way. And the only argument for oblique kicks that I can, I can think of that's kind of legitimate is you can tap out to a submission, but you can't tap out to a strike. Well, you can tap out to strikes, too, but... Once that hit, it goes and blows out your knee. It's already gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, here's my, here's my defense of soccer kicks. Don't get there. <laughs> I mean, look, like, you don't, you have an option to not be on the ground. Every fight starts standing. If you get knocked down, then, I mean, you, you failed at your objective. So, that means you're at the mercy of the, the person striking you. And if yeah. you're going for grappling exchanges, if you're trying to take this guy down, it gives him other weapons to defend against the takedown. That's my only thing with soccer kicks that I'm, why I'm pro soccer, soccer kick, because I think that grappling has too many edges. If you, if you, tell, if you, you want to make it real, make it to where you can defend in a real way. If someone's trying to take me down on the streets, and he gets a it gets a single on me. I can bridge, uh, put my hand on the back of his neck, get my foot out of there, and now he's crouched and trying to go for another single. And I can, and I can just punt him to like the next you know town. I'm fucking punting that guy. You know what I mean, like, and in, 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 in the same MMA, like if yeah, because you see scramble opportunities where guys are like in transition. And they're fighting off a takedown, and you see guys chain wrestling going for more takedowns. If you add in that element, it changes it. It changes how it can't be as reckless with those chain wrestling attempts. Where you just get risk, get kicked in the face with your face right next to my shin. So I, I'm pro soccer kick. I think it will make the game better, not worse. Um, and it, I don't care that it looks more violent. I'm here for violence. That's what. The whole, the whole sport is revolved around the ultimate fighting championship. It's not the ultimate sportsman championship. Like, no one cares that it looks clean and neat. I'm not like no one. Obviously, people care that it looks clean and neat. But it's supposed to be a fight. And if you're simulating a fight, I mean, obviously, you don't want people getting poked in the eyes. You don't want people bending fingers or gouging people's eyes. Outside of that, I'm cool with all the strikes. I'm 100% pro uh, knees on the ground. Shout out to Mighty Mouse getting his revenge. But, uh, yeah, I'm 100% all about knees on the ground, though. But wasn't that, wasn't that a beautiful sequence? Oh, 100% beautiful. And it, it just made it so much better that when he first got into MMA, or into one, one FC, he got that knockout by the knee on the ground. Probably because he wasn't really expecting it. He was still used to the old rule set, but... He got his revenge, and shout out to him still being a world champ. Worst trade ever. Yes. Worst trade ever. <laughs> they yeah. can take back Ben. <laughs> and you, I love how knees are involved heavily in that whole trade story because Ben Askren came over from one with all this like all these accolades, right? Like he was just this like um, undefeated. 
you know, grappler. And then, like, he took Benito Masvidal, sent him to retirement with that flying knee. Mighty Mouse goes over, loses the title to a basically a flying knee on the ground. It wasn't a flying knee, but it was a knee on the ground. Um, right after he was a proponent for that rule, like being changed, he's like, I like that. And I don't, yeah. I agree. I don't think it's like, I think it's fine. And then for him to get sweet revenge on the same exact guy to get his title back, a time flying knee after he rocked him with that right hand, that's just fucking poetic justice for Mighty Mouse. And we got to start for real giving one its props for putting on good shows. Like, those fights are always fun, man. Yeah, it's amazing. And as me and Mosey were talking about earlier, the mix-up and types of fights that they have over there with kickboxing and Muay Thai and then sometimes mixing them up to where they're in cages or in rings, it's it's nice. It's different. It's a little Ryzen-esque, only not so showboaty as Ryzen is. Ryzen puts on some ex- exhibitions that shouldn't happen, but <laughs> I think one does it right. Yeah, Ryzen gets a little bit of experimental. <laughs> you Ryzen know wants to be the old pride. <laughs> you know, bro, I'm going to tell you right now, you know who don't give a fuck? Oh, the Russians. If you watched all the M1 Global stuff and like some of those like um the other Russian promotions, man, they put on some crazy type shit. Hey, their uh press conferences be off the chain too. They be fighting there. And no one cares. So, yeah. Every every like one out of three Russian press conferences is on site. Yes. Like one out of three. They'd they be running up on you while you're sitting in the chair still. It's, it's crazy. Plus, no, the emotions over see. there are just random about stuff where they're like, you know what we should do? We should have a four-on-four four or an eight-on-eight eight MMA fight. <laughs> okay. Bro, listen, the other day, I think they, they, they do they that. Have, this, the Russians, I think this, this, is, this is how they do theirs. Everything that you see in, like, the YouTube chat, like that, they're in a YouTube chat of MMA. Like they, they have, uh, they'll have three lightweights versus one heavyweight. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like it's crazy. Like they have some fucking ridiculous bouts. And like I was, I was, it was crazy because I'm like, okay, man, you got three guys at, well, not three lightweights. Sorry, it was like three featherweights. It's like three guys at 145 against one dude that was uh, a heavyweight. And I'm like, that fight went exactly how you think that would go. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, they just all rushed him and they like start stomping him out. I'm like, bro, it's like, yeah. Oh no, it's crazy. They have like those what if type fights. Like, what if you put a transgender woman against an actual man? What do you think is going to happen? And they fucking send it. And then like, you're like, oh, it's still a man. <laughs> like it's crazy, bro. Like they put some the Russians, bro. They go hard. At the almost to a point where like they they they. So I I'm, I'm like I said I am for the violence, but sometimes I watch their stuff and I feel like bad. I'm like I shouldn't be seeing this shit, man. <laughs> I mean, to an extent, I also feel the fact that they all signed up for that and they're all getting paid to do exactly that, so they knew what they were getting into. Therefore. 
I don't feel that bad, but I still don't understand why it's a thing. I don't feel bad. I, I guess I, I, I use the wrong, like, I guess what I wanted to say was, like, it is just a train wreck. Like, I'm not going to look away. I'm going to fucking watch it. But I'm like, I'm like, I just look at it, like, in, in awe, almost. Like, I, I can't believe this got sanctioned. <laughs> like, someone, like, somebody was like, yeah, for sure, run that. I'm yeah. cool with it. Like, Let's do an intergender fucking MMA match, like, or let's do like a fucking that that the three on one one had me just it just sent me, bro. And I saw like, hey, isn't that the place like, that had the four hundred pound guy against the the woman, the like the bantamweight yes. woman? That was Russia. Was that Russia or was that Ryzen? I think that was Russia. When with the really big dude and the um, the, the Muay Thai girl. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I think that was that was right. I think that was um, that was one of those Russian promotions. Uh, Ryzen was the one with uh, what, what's her name, Gabby? That like two hundred oh, pound, oh my god, behemoth of a woman fighting a grandma. Oh my god, a, a professional wrestler grandma that was like at eighty, like I want to say like eighty or in her seventies, and I'm like, what is this? She's one hundred and four, bro. Who said that we wanted to see She-Hulk against a grandma? Like, what is going I'll, on? I'll tell you who. I'll tell you who. Russians. They want. They want all the smoke. They want to see the. They want to see somebody get fucked up. They were like, "Oh, you." Want, I, I like how. Um, I guess I think it's just all the. They just take the comments and be like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Let's fucking do that." They just run it. What would happen if you put? Three 135 pound guys against one 205 pound guy. What do you think would happen? Let's fucking find out. Are you guys ready to call it, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I got no video today because I guess, like, my I got to figure this out. So you got to look at my pristine, shiny little ball head. Um, <laughs> my my uh, photograph. Copy if you're on YouTube. If you're just listening to it on audio, then. You get what you get already. But be back for we back after a long time. Um got some schedule changes for the homies. And um we we can try to bring you some more fun content. Uh like and subscribe if you are on YouTube. Uh and this is also everywhere you get podcasts. We appreciate you, all listeners, all viewers, all six of you. So uh holla at your boy. Well, on that note, zip it up. Zip it out. Zip it out, baby.